0: All right. Thank you, Rebecca, for that. Turn back to Second Timothy chapter one. Don uh, was good enough to read this long portion of Scripture uh, for us this morning. Appreciate that. Welcome to 2019. Right as we think about uh, a year coming up, all that it holds. Be thankful that you're not uh, in China this year. Uh, 2019, uh, I see, is the year of the pig in China. (laughs) Although, after all that I ate for the last two weeks, maybe I ought to move there this year. (laughs) It's also uh, a good year for uh, Aries, for those who watch the zodiac, for uh, good luck this year. Aren't you glad? Our National History Day, which is in June, will declare this year the year of triumph and tragedy. So I don't know where that is going either, but uh, uh, it's better than Idaho declaiming it human rights year. But I have a better thing, and that is our motto, you notice, in our bulletin, uh, which uh, we Print for this year, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Aren't you glad we have that motto and not the year of the pig? We'll we'll try not to be pigs this year. Looking ahead a little bit, let me give you you a little quiz. If you were making a uh, self-examination, a self-evaluation right now, what would you say your greatest need is for 2019? What's your greatest need for 2019? You know, I'm sure that there are a lot of different ones. And uh, actually, uh, we're always a needy people. Uh, There might be some people who just say my greatest need is income, is money. And, uh, you know, because there are people who are destitute, people who have uh, almost nothing. And they do need something, maybe even a job or whatever. Some people are going to have to say my greatest need is health because health can be debilitating and, and, and can ruin your time and your year, and there are people who might say that. Others might say my greatest need is family help with my family, sometimes younger ones, sometimes older ones, uh, but you, you need help that way. Some people just need a job. Some people need uh, to organize their time and say, you know, I don't have enough time to do everything I have to do. Uh, that's my, my greatest need. I hope that some of your thoughts go to things like this. Uh, My greatest need is to learn how to pray better and to be in God's Word more. Uh, And we all say that uh, because we never get to where we should be in those things, but a devotional life, a life of walking with the Lord closer. Uh, Maybe your greatest need is uh, more dedication to your church, both in attendance and service and in love and in prayer, in giving and things like that. Uh, Maybe your greatest need and the need for all of us is to be a better witness for the Lord, uh, to be bolder in our testimony and to speak out for the Lord in greater ways, just to have faith in God. As I thought of that list and other lists like that, uh, and then thinking of this passage that we read this morning already, I think that we might be able to put all of those into this statement. The Bible tells us in two words, fear not. You know, the reason we don't do most of those things on that list is out of fear. Or, as we have it in our passage, we're ashamed. The reason we don't speak out more, isn't it? Because of fear and because we might be ashamed. The reason maybe we don't live the Christian life the way that we should is what others will think about us if we do, because we're kind of ashamed of it or we're afraid You know, I was thinking of John on the Isle of Patmos, you know, in 95 A.D., John, the last living apostle, no doubt an old man by then, is a prisoner and left out on that rock to die. I've never seen Patmos myself, I saw a place called Bass Rock off of the, uh, in the North Sea off of Scotland, and it's a big rock out in the North Sea, they take prisoners out there and they leave them on that rock to die, don't go back and get them and they die out on that rock. John was facing something like that in his older years, and no doubt his need was uh, food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, And yet God comes to John and says, I'm going to get you off this rock, and then I'm going to give you the hardest job of your life. And you're going to write this book, and you're going to go back and send it to all of these churches, and they're not going to like it one bit. (laughs) And yet he did it. And John's standing on that aisle, and Jesus appears to him. And when he sees Jesus in all of his glory, he falls on his face as if he were dead. And the Lord puts his hand on him and says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he which was dead and am alive forevermore. Behold, amen. And John says, then I can do it. Our problem is fear, and yet God constantly is saying to us, fear not. Let me take you to our passage here in an introductory way, Uh, with these thoughts in your mind, beginning in verse 6, where Paul says now, and by the way, Paul is an older man, and Paul is in prison, and he's in Rome. Uh, He will die there. He'll be beheaded there. He'll never get out of prison. And he's writing back to young Timothy. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance, he says, that thou stir up the gift of God. The first thing we need to do, folks, is realize our giftedness from God and stir it up. This this expression "stir it up" literally means to blow upon it. It's kind of like stirring the coals. I was doing that this week. We used our grill a few times, and we we used uh, some uh, charcoal, and I was standing there with smoke in my face, blowing on on that charcoal, trying to get some glow to it. You know, get it going a little hotter. Well, Paul is saying to Timothy, understand what God has given you and blow on it. Where has God placed you? What gifts has he given you? What responsibilities do you have before God? And start blowing on that giftedness that you have and exercise it and do it. So that's in verse 6. And why do we do it in verse 7? Because or for God has not given us the spirit of fear. If you go through your life fearing, if you go through your life afraid to do what God has called you to do, afraid to be the person God has called you to be, then uh, you're not going to accomplish those things. Know what God has called you to do. Know where you are right now. Blow on that. Stir it up because God has not made you afraid. That word fear, usually you have the word phobos, but this is a different word, telios, delios, excuse me, which means cowardice. Or sometimes timidity. We have it in John 14 in that beautiful verse where Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Don't be timid. Don't be cowardice about what God has called you to do. God has not given you that fear, and if that's the way you are, and that's the way you are in walking in this life, that doesn't come from God. That comes from you. But what has God given us? Notice this. He has given us three things, power, love, and a sound mind. Do you know that you, you possess the, mo- the two most powerful things in the world, and that is the Spirit of God and the Word of God? You have the Spirit of God inside you, and you have the Word of God to read and to know and to to use and to speak. There is nothing more powerful than that in the whole world. God has given you the Spirit of power, and you have it, not timidity. Secondly, He's given you love, and that is agape love, which the world does not know. So you have the love of God in you, it dwells in you, and the world doesn't even know that love, can't even live that kind of love. You have it. God has given that to you. And, and then lastly, a sound mind, whether you think so or not. God, God has given you a sound mind. You can think right. This word, sophronos, it's a, it's a word that means the mind. It means sober-minded, often translated the word sober. It means to be in your right mind. It means to be of a humble mind and a modest mind. And God has given you that kind of a mind. You can navigate through this world. You can solve the problems that that come your way because you have this power, you have this love, and you have this sound mind. Remember in Romans twelve three, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man. That is, uh, with a sound mind. Now, he says then, therefore, in verse 8, be not thou therefore ashamed. And that's why I made the connection between the fear that we have to live with and being ashamed. If we live with fear, which God has not given us, but you have it in you, then you'll be ashamed of the things of God as you go through this world. But if you'll live with the things God has given you, power, love, and a sound mind, you'll not be ashamed to be disgraced, to be confounded, to be dishonored. That's what ashamed means. So be not ashamed. It's kind of interesting the way the Bible writes it. Uh, you you have this expression, be ashamed, and then you have a negative, not. <laughs> you know, we, we see we do that in our modern English. You know, we say this, and then we put it in capital letters, not. You know, and that's literally the way the Greek has it. Be thou ashamed, not. <laughs> this is not what you're supposed to be. You remember these words from the Lord in Luke 9:26, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. We're not to be ashamed of him. He won't be ashamed of us. So let me take you through three things—or four or four things, actually, because we're going to skip over to chapter 2 and verse 15 at the end. You see these in your outline if you're following me there in your bulletin. I think we have four kinds of responsibility based on this word ashamed and not being afraid in this, last, or in this last book of Paul's, the first chapter of 2 Timothy. First of all, there's this individual responsibility. It takes us back to verse 8 where Paul is talking to Timothy. He's talking to that man, that young man, his son in the faith, as a matter of fact, someone he led to the Lord. And so he says, be not thou, uh, notice the word thou, thou therefore ashamed, and he explains what that is. Think for a minute about Timothy. I want you to think just a minute. He's a young man still. He traveled with Paul through his second and third journey, and he learned a lot. And so he's coming up in the ministry, he's ready to take responsibility, and of all things, God puts him in Ephesus. And you find that uh, expression uh, about Ephesus here in this book a lot in, in Timothy. Here he finds himself as the pastor in Ephesus. It is a wicked city. The temple of Diana, or Artemis, is there. The silversmiths are are already outraged at what Paul has done there, because Paul has put a big dent in their industry. They're they're making uh, idols for people to worship, and Paul has preached against idols, and so they're all upset about that. Paul even said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, meaning I fought with the worst of them. In his last Visit as Paul is going back to Jerusalem on his third missionary journey, he stops by Ephesus and brings the elders out and he talks to them and he says this to them I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So, Timothy, I'm going to put you there to stop this. I trust that you can do it. And so how is Timothy going to handle this? Notice in verse 8, he says, don't be ashamed, first of all, of the testimony of our Lord. You have an individual responsibility too, believer, not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, the things of God the things that the Bible says, the fact that there is a God, the fact that God loves this world, the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Don't be ashamed of that testimony. And sometimes we are. Sometimes we back off from those things when people are talking about it, maybe in public places. Secondly, he says, nor of me his prisoner. In other words, of God's apostle, God's spokesman. Sometimes, you know, people speak out for the Lord and people say, well, I don't like what that guy's saying. And we say, well, then I'm not going to say anything about it because, you know, I'm kind of that way too. And we're kind of ashamed of the spokesman sometimes of the Lord. So don't be afraid of me, the apostle, even though I have said some things that are pretty unpopular in Ephesus. And then thirdly, he says uniquely, but Be thou, in a positive way now, partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to this power of God that he's given you. Be partaker of the afflictions. There's nothing wrong with you being afflicted for the gospel's sake. There's nothing wrong with people feeling bad towards you, not for your sake, but because of the gospel's. There's there's a cross to the gospel. There's a stumbling block to the gospel. And if that happens in your life, okay, okay. It's the way it is, it's what God wanted. That's, that's God's will for you. So don't be ashamed even of that. You know, I, I thought, today in our day, uh, as much as any time, image is everything. You, you have a certain image, and with, with, with instant communication and, and, and uh, social media and all, we have this image that we keep up, and we're very conscious of our image, maybe what we look like, but what other people think of us, what they know of us, what goes on our Facebook page or whatever it is, we have this image. And you know, Christianity isn't always good for your image, well, it is as far as God's concerned, but as far as this world's concerned, you know, you're not going to be a partier like some people you know maybe, and maybe some of your friends. You're not going to do some of those things with them, so it's going to hurt your image a little bit. You're not going to speak crudely as some people speak, and that may put you down a notch. I went into a business place this last week. Uh, Aaron you were with me and Blake was with me and uh at the shooting range actually and we go up to the counter to pay and the first thing the guy does is you say blankety blankety blank uh to people he doesn't even know not not cussing me out I mean it's just the way he talks you don't talk that way you may not have certain friends (laughs) in this world And you're not going to be immodest like many of your friends are going to be and many people are in this world. And so it might hurt your image a little bit is what I'm saying. But you know what? That's okay if that's the way it is. I was reading... Uh, yesterday morning in Matthew 25, uh, you know about that uh, parable of the talents where where the the steward passes out talents. And here here is uh, one for each of you. And one guy multiplies it and, into 10 talents and the other multiplies it into five talents. And then the last one comes along and he has one talent and that's all he's got. And he went and hid it And he says to the Lord when he comes to him, I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. I was afraid. You know, I think that's exactly what Christian people do sometimes with the very gifts and talents uh, that God has given them. We go, we are afraid and so we hide it in the earth so nobody sees it and it doesn't hurt our image. So here's an individual responsibility you have not to be ashamed. Secondly, if you will, all the way down to verse 12, and Don read through the text for so I won't read all the way down, but there's what I call an apostolic responsibility. So Paul turns it around now to young Timothy, and he says, for which cause? For this cause then, I also suffer these things. In other words, I have suffered for the gospel, Timothy, you may have to also nevertheless, I am not ashamed. So here's the apostle. Here's this great man of God, the apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's going to be executed like a prisoner. He's going to be treated a lot like his Lord was treated, who was crucified as a prisoner. And that's what's going to happen to Paul. And yet he says, I'm not ashamed of this. And then notice what he says, you know the verse. I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And so he was not ashamed of of whom he believed in, right? He's not ashamed of the Lord himself. Even though the Lord brought him to this point in his life, He he, he knows he's not ashamed because he knows that the Lord will keep that faith. There's nothing he can do to lose it. The world can't take it away from him. The world may hate him. The world may cut his head off, which they're going to do. But they can't take away his faith. And I think verse 13 is interesting where he says to Timothy, Now you hold fast the form of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. I think Paul knew that he had a testimony to leave behind and he was not ashamed of it. Let me ask you this, when you leave this world, are you going to leave a testimony behind that you're not ashamed of? Are you going to be able to say, here, kids, here, grandkids, here, uh, church, here, friends, here's my testimony left behind. Paul was not ashamed of that testimony. Let Let me make this application from this point, since we have an apostolic responsibility. How does that apply to you? Well, it does in the sense that you might be a leader, But I want you to notice this too. The apostles left us the word of God. These men, Paul and and Peter and Jude and John, they left us the word of God. And I ask you, are you ashamed of the apostles' writings? Are you ashamed of what the word of God says? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak? Not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. In other words, what I write to you is from the Holy Spirit. Peter said, the prophecy came not in old old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is, the writings of Scripture are the writings of the Holy Spirit. Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith. John, the Lord said to John on that Isle of Patmos, you write the things that I'm showing you. And you know what I find? I find that sometimes we're kind of afraid of the Word of God itself in our day. What the Bible teaches plainly, the world does not like and does not accept. And so we kind of soften it down, too. We don't earnestly contend for it. In other words, here's a good example, (laughs) I I read today, Rebecca had had read this and I went online and looked at it. Do you know the you know what New York City did for 2019? New York City passed a law, actually eliminated a law that would prohibit this that if you want to claim you have no sex, that is, you're not male or female, you can change your birth certificate to be an ex. You're not male or female. You can do that legally in New York, and for any baby that's born in New York, you do not have to put on that birth certificate, either male or female, you can put X or unknown on the baby's birth certificate. Thank you, New York. You know, uh, isn't it wonderful that we get these great things out of New York? But I tell you, folks, 2019 and the years ahead, We are going to deal with this LGBTQ uh, and so forth more than you know. And this is what the world thinks right now. And for you to claim that they are not what they claim to be is going to be controversial, and they are not going to like it. So I ask you, are you going to stay with the apostles' words or not? Let me read you what what Matthew recorded that Jesus said when Jesus was asked about uh, marriage. He said, Have you not read that he which made them, this is Matthew 19, 4 and 5, by the way, Matthew 19, 4? Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now that's what Jesus said. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that there are some people that aren't male or female? You know, it's just craziness, isn't it? I mean, I was in the delivery room when our kids were born. I could tell you right away what they were. I mean, it's not hard to figure out. But this world can't figure that out. But in the beginning, God made them male and female. Then it says, for this cause shall a man, that is a man or a woman, a man or a woman, leave father or mother, man, (laughs) father or mother and cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. Now, that isn't hard to figure out. That's what Jesus said. And yet, I'm telling you, folks, that that is not going to be popular if you hold on to what Matthew recorded and what Jesus said. That is not where our country is going. And it is going to be controversial. And And even churches may, may be in trouble in various states because of this kind of thing. I call it the paganization of America. This is is a human being looking at God in the face and saying, I don't believe what you said about me being created in your image. I deny the way you made me. I deny your image inside me. I will not accept the way you made me. As obvious as it is, I'm not going to accept it. That's what it is. That's paganism. And it's upon us. And yet we're going to have to either believe God's word or not. So I just say as as apostolic responsibility, when the word of God says something, folks, take what the inspired apostles wrote. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Look at verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Thirdly, there's a missionary responsibility, if you will. And I like uh, these three verses, 16 through 18, because of this man named Onesiphorus. So in verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. Now, this man, we see his name a couple times in Scripture. Uh, We see it in uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 19 of this very book. He'll mention him again. And he's from Ephesus. And from Ephesus, he has traveled to Rome, where Paul is in prison. Paul is in the Mamertine prison, Paul is a, a, now a wicked prisoner who has to be killed. And notice it says, he oft refreshed me and was what? Not ashamed of my chain. When he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. So the Lord granted unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. I'm glad for a man who knew his missionary was in trouble and he went there and sought him out and brought comfort to him, regardless of what everybody else would think about him. Isn't that great? He was from Ephesus, and he might have even been a pastor in Ephesus, because it says uh, uh, his house, it mentions uh, the house of Onesiphorus, and usually when Paul makes a statement like that, he's referring sometimes to the church that meets in their house, and like he did with Philemon. And so... uh, he was a a, an emissary from the church or whatever he went there to refresh the the missionaries you know you have brethren in the world did you do you know that do you know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering in this world do you know that there are places in this world where they don't have the freedom to do what we're doing this morning where it's very dangerous to do it we have missionaries that our church supports don't we who are in places of the world right now where they could be arrested just for preaching the gospel. Many places of the world are like that, and and people can suffer greatly from it. So we have a missionary responsibility to not be ashamed of what we're doing for the gospel's sake, not be ashamed of our missionaries, not be ashamed of our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they may be, who are doing the work of Christ. It's very easy then, I think, to make application uh, of this, and and what would that application be? Well, let's help them out when they're on deputation and furlough, right? When they come by, you know that sometimes we can't support everybody uh, month by month, but let's give them a love offering, which you guys are great at doing let's let's let them speak to us let's uh, pray for our missionaries right let's give them support i hope that uh, we're going to make a proposal to you that we raise our missionary support a little bit this year. It's kind of time that we do that. Let's help them out. Let's have personal knowledge of our missionaries. Read their letters. Know the struggles that they're going through. Pray for them specifically about those kinds of things. You can, have a, uh, uh, you can be unashamed, let me put it that way, of our missionaries if you'll do these kinds of things. So there's a missionary responsibility. And then lastly, we skip all the way over then after Paul does three things. He, he, he gives an individual message to Timothy. He talks about himself as the apostle. He talks about uh, wh- what Onesiphorus did for his missionary. And then in chapter 2 and verse 15, another very familiar verse, "...study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed." Those of you who were ever in Awana, remember the Awana verse, and this this was it. Learn the Word of God and memorize it so that you won't be ashamed, and you'll have something to say in defense of your faith sometime. I think this is a responsibility given to all of us, and so I title it, number four, a 2019 responsibility. Study to show thyself approved. That expression is literally, be eager to present yourself unashamed be eager to present yourself approved be eager to do this I want to be approved of God I want to be prepared I want to study as it were that I might not be ashamed of my faith that's the idea here now the the workman is interesting and I there's another interesting word in this verse and that is rightly dividing. And you, you get to that old expression, rightly dividing the word of truth. It literally means to cut straight. You have the word cut and you have the word straight put together in one word in that language. Rightly dividing, to divide, divide it by cutting straight. Now you know how to do that, don't you? Many of you <laughs> have done this. To cut straight, it, it doesn't mean... Then just literally with scissors, though it has that picture in it, but it means to set forth truthfully, to do something without distortion. We need to handle the Word of God that way. We need to uh, keep cutting or uh, applying the word of god straight you can make a pa- all of you have made a pattern on something right i was recovering a bible this week you know and i have to put it out there and i here's the leather and i have to m- measure it around and then i have to take scissors and i have to cut on that leather because it has to fold just right and be just right and so you are cutting straight so that what you're going to use that for will apply properly you do that with material you do that with paper you do that with an envelope whatever you do that all the time so let me make the application here because I already talked to you about the apostolic responsibility of just having the word of God and not being ashamed of it but do we apply the word of God right you know when you cut a pattern you're making an application you're cutting it from the original, and then you're going to make something else. And so when we rightly divide the Word of God, when we cut it straight, we are interpreting it right so that we can apply it correctly in our lives. And if we have, if we have no desire to eagerly present ourselves a good cutter, <laughs> then we'll never have the application right in our lives. And we need to have it in our lives. Let me remind you of these verses. You remember these that, that uh, Paul has said often. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.17, We are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Or Second Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4.2, We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That's not cutting it straight. And then he was afraid in 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3, I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's easy to do, folks. It can happen all the time. Sometimes we're kind of ashamed of the Word of God being correctly interpreted, rightly divided a good, uh, I think a good example in our lifetime is the, the evolution creation debate. And so we come up with theistic evolution because we're kind of ashamed of those statements that, the, that the God created the world in six literal days. I mean, that, that just sounds kind of stupid to our generation. How could that be that God would do something like that in six days? So since we don't kind of like that, let's come up with a theistic evolution where, where really what's described in Genesis is millions of years years. Why? Because we're kind of ashamed of rightly dividing it. We're going to face that thing, as I have said, of Christian homosexuality, same-sex attraction, and things like that. And the Word of God is very plain on these sins, and it is not going to be popular in our day. But are you going to rightly cut the Word of God and apply it or not? It's just the way it is. I read uh, this week where, where, where Paul in, F, in the book of Ephesians says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church that the Catholics uh, reprint that as, this is a great sacrament. Not a great mystery, but a great sacrament. So that if you're going to come into the mystery of Christ, you have to come in through the Roman church by sacrament. Is that properly cutting it? But, you know, we don't want to offend our Catholic friends, and they think they're going to heaven too. There are so many ways in which we kind of back off from cutting the Word of God properly and taking that pattern that we have cut and applying it to things in our lives. We need to be sure we do that. So, an individual responsibility, an apostolic, a missionary, and then our 2009 responsibility. I still say fear is the greatest obstacle you have for 2019. There are other challenges you have, I know, but fear is one of them. And these fears that Paul pointed out, he constantly says, don't be ashamed. This fear, let me give you four thoughts here. It will keep people from hearing the gospel. Your fear in these things will keep others from hearing the gospel. Secondly, it will hinder the testimony and the love of Jesus Christ to this world. They will not see the love of Christ that they need to see in you. Thirdly, it reduces the believer to a worldling. (laughs) By being ashamed of these things reduces you down to the level of unbelievers. And you stand no higher than that in this world. And fourthly, it destroys the life of many believers. By being ashamed of the word of God, being ashamed of what God, God has given you, it will destroy your life. If you can't live by these things, the Bible is very clear. Be not thou, therefore, ashamed. I hope that you'll not be. I want you to stand with me now, if you will. As we stand, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and sing a song that will remind us of these things. Let's stand and let's bow our heads together before we sing. Father, how we love you today. Standing on the threshold of a new year, we want to take an evaluation of ourselves in the light of your word and in the light of your will for us. And so, Father, again, as in many ways in your word, you've reminded us of a great fear that we have, and that's being ashamed uh, by this, uh, 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 with this world. And so, Father, we need your help today as we think about these things. I'm sure that uh, among us in our group here today, there are many struggling with many uh, cares of this world that they have for this year. But, Father, we all struggle with this fear. And we pray, Father, you would help us and make us bold and help us to receive the words that Paul has written here and and go into this year and, and into the rest of our lives being unashamed of the things of God. So bless now as we think about these things. Maybe, Father, there's someone hearing the sound of my voice, whether now or later in this message, that doesn't know Christ as Savior, and they're wondering whether that is something they can do. Would they be ashamed of it? Father, I pray you'd give them witness of your spirit and power of the word of God to receive Christ as Savior. Bless us now, too, as we think of these things and respond in our hearts the way that we need. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.